0: This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. This is episode nine, really excited about our next guest. We have Nancy Monroe here, who's the CEO of Verbal Transactions. Uh, look at this, she has over 28 years in helping organizations implement and deploy voice enablement solutions. Uh, Think of companies like CVS, AT&T, Microsoft, helping them how to decipher how best to address performance challenges that align to their structural capabilities and revenue goals. So think about this everyone, Nancy has pioneered voice-enabled technologies and simulations in the corporate space um, and was the first to launch an interactive audio role-playing simulator. We're going to talk about that today, so it's really exciting stuff. But her current solutions leverage speech recognition and AI to provide a scalable and immersive learning application, which we all know training and learning is critical. So, besides all that, of course, there's more. Uh, she's a great speaker, various conferences. You got things like Amazon Voice Summit, DevConf, you got eLearning Guild, ASTD, AAISP so on and so forth. You can just imagine all the great stuff, even MIT Enterprise Forum of Chicago for three years. Um, when we look at this, we also have a guest who has an education with a bachelor's degree from Northwest Missouri State University and obviously <laughs> completed the Tuckbridge Executive Education Program at Dartmouth. That is a mouthful. Nancy, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to finally have you on.
1: Well, thank you, Christian, for that Lengthy introduction, but uh, it's funny yeah. when I first moved to uh, Chicago, people would say, where'd you go to school? I'm like, who cares? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would start to say Northwest Missouri state, which nobody's heard of and they'd be like Northwestern. And I'm like, "Yep, yeah, that's where I went. Sure. If that's that what you want, that's, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, one of the things that we love to do on this show, and I think it's the core of this show is really understanding how you got to where you are today, right? And we discussed in the past. And I think one of the things that we love to cover is not everybody wakes up and says, you know what, I am going to go into the contact center space. That's my dream job. So we always say, hey, it's not a dream job. But for many, it actually becomes a dream job. So I'd love to kind of start at the beginning for you. What did your journey look like to even get you into this space in the first place?
1: Wow. Well, I think specifically in the contact center space, um, when mobile devices first started coming out in, you know, 2003, you know, Blackberry was a dominant device and I built a lot of enterprise learning solutions. And I thought, you know, everybody's carrying these phones around in their pocket. Why can't we make something that's learning based, And so I started down the road of voice technology with the intention of building mobile learning. Well, what happened is I ended up using a cloud-based IVR um, and really got deep into that space around IVRs and voice technology transcription. And what I realized was everybody's building these apps, but I became anti-app because there's so much work involved. And, um, you know, whichever device you have to come up with, you have to have testing environments for all of that. But what I realized was that phones let you speak, phones let you listen, phones let you record, phones let you play back recordings. So I said, you know, why can't I create a simulated conversation that lets me practice, you know, interacting with someone? And so we, our tagline is we help use technology to make better human, human-to-human, you know, interactions versus removing the human out of the interaction. And so that really got me into the phone space and then I got into simulations and, um, you know, just kind of grew from there.
0: So that's not only really impressive, but also to sit there and go like, you know, I'm going to use an IVR and I'm going to use simulations. I mean, how do you get there? I mean, there was there something before this that made you go, hey, I could use an IVR, I can use simulations to do this? Or you know, have you been working on something like this for a while? What did it look like before this aha moment or was this something you've always been working on?
1: Uh, Good question. So uh, I've been in the corporate training space for like 28 years. And one of my biggest frustrations with that is most of it was passive learning. Meaning you Uh sit there and watch somebody give a lecture, you sit there and watch somebody tell you how to do something but very few learning activities were um, active versus passive. So I thought if I could build a simulation, which we all know simulations are some of the best ways to train somebody on something. I mean, you know, uh, commercial airline pilots do more practice time in simulators because you can't fly a jet around practice that's too expensive. So I thought if I could build an environment that lets somebody practice something and they get immediate feedback on how well they did, Then to me, you know, there's a whole world out there of sales professionals, call center professionals, uh, just people having dialogue and, and helping them have better interactions because you get somebody on the phone for the first time and they're trying to talk to you number one, very few people answer their phone anymore. So when you actually get a live person on the phone, you're like, oh crap, they answered the phone. Now what do I say? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's so I like wanted you're surprised. To, right, right. <laughs> like, oh no, you weren't supposed to answer. So I wanted to build a tool that made that um, user experience um, putting them in that deer in the headlights. In fact, uh, University of Illinois here in Chicago, I kept trying to get their professor that ran a sales training program to try this out. And I was going to give it away for free. Any college that has a sales training curriculum, you know, because my background's in sales, you know, I wanted to give this away free, but also with the mindset of, it's like cigarettes, you know, you get them smoking early and they're going to continue wanting to use that. Um, so once they graduated from school, you know, I wanted him to say, hey, I use this great tool in college. Why aren't we using it in the corporate space? And so I finally got his attention and I had him log into one of the first um the first variation of the simulator that I built. And he the light bulb went off for him. He's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what students need. They need this deer in the headlights moment. They need a realistic tool that forces them out of their comfort level and into real life because he, he froze up. He says, I froze up right away. And, and to me, that was a great learning experience. And we've continued to have a relation with relationship with them gosh, now six or seven years, we've allowed those students to use, use the um, simulator for free. And now they're actually using it to teach them how to sell second city, which is a big improv company here in chicago they they got a contract the college did to help them sell their professional uh training services and skills and so they're actually prospecting for second city as college students and we built simulations around scripts that teach them how to get past the gatekeeper and how to try to get an appointment with that that particular
0: target Got it. So then first corporate training, the lack of interaction in the training, it was very absorbing the content, but not really being able to put it into an applicable manner, or at least enough practice to do so. Then you start seeing how it applies to maybe sales or any type of outreach, but Specifically, what was like the first opportunity where you said this is a the call center is where this can be. And do you have a yeah. a, a short example of maybe the first call center that you wanted mm-hmm. to get in touch with and this got implemented?
1: Yeah. So I I reached out to so my first version of this product was called Mobi Roleplay. And it was audio only, did not use speech recognition, it used speech transcription. Um, keyword, i built a keyword search database tool behind it. And when I presented it to a call center, they said, well, yeah, this is great, but there's no visuals. One of the biggest challenges for a contact center rep is they've got, you know, all these monitors up. And so they're, you know, multitasking of, you know, entering customer information, looking something up. And I said, huh, right. So the next iteration of the product was a completely different product. It was actually built by, uh, a pretty smart guy that started out his career at at IBM. And then he got into building dialers and dialer systems. And so he was using speech speech recognition, a very sophisticated MySQL database, uh, text-to-speech bots, uh, speech analytics. And what he realized in building this system and all of the mistakes or all of the things that are being tracked in that call center if I could build that into a standalone simulator so people could practice all of these scenarios, inbound, outbound, whatever, Mm -hmm. before they get into production, I'm going to basically, instead of, uh, as he says, looking what the dog ate, you know, later when he, you know, does something on the lawn, why don't I get proactive about this and address all of these metrics that are being measured in production, but build them into a simulator. And so he pretty much retired and, uh, as I went on my journey looking for the visual combined with voice solution, I stumbled across an article that was written by university of Indiana uh, on his simulator. They did some research with it. And I said, wow, okay, I got to track this guy down and uh, reached out to him through LinkedIn. He said, well, i um, pretty much retired, but um, you know, you know, what's your, what's your intentions here? And so we went down the path of a, a huge RFP for AT&T. I mean, they, they identified his software, you know, almost word for word what it was capable of doing. And I knew I was going to win the RFP. <laughs> and it was like a 30-page response, like this huge thing. Um, so sure enough, I, uh, we won the RFP. And that got me down the road of contact centers. But the real big uh, difference with this platform as a learning tool compared to anything else that, that's in the market today is that um, there's something out there called SCORM. Uh, which stands for shared reusable object or something like that. Okay. Uh, and back in 2000, when online training first came out, they all had to say, how do we, how do we measure your online tool, your online course with this online course and this online course, there's gotta be some kind of uh, enterprise standard. So they all developed the simulation or the, the training to this standard. And all it does on a very scalable way says this person took this course on this day and they got this score on the test. Okay, yep. That's it. So you have no way of knowing what they actually learned if they learned anything. And so when I saw his tool, it wasn't just because it was a simulation and let you practice, it was the way that it scored and collected data around the interaction that the user had while they were in the simulation. So I know how many times it took them to get the greeting right, how, you know how long it took them to authenticate the customer uh, did they practice open-ended questions correctly? Were they demonstrating active listening? So all of these skills that are critical in a contact center, that are all these you know metrics and measurements that are measured in production, I could actually build in the simulator and spit out a report that gave you complete transparency around how well that person conducted that transaction.
0: Awesome. So with all of that put in play now, how does that now fit into verbal transactions, right? What does that look like now? um, And what's different, if anything, from what you've described? Right.
1: So uh now and the elephant in the room of COVID, now <laughs> just, I think it we're we're standing in a really good uh market position because you've removed the, the ability for somebody to sit in the classroom and a teacher observing this class. You've removed the ability for somebody sitting next to a colleague to say, Hey, you know, uh how do I handle this transaction? So the simulator can now be A great way to augment helping getting these people on board, but also help retrain or upskill somebody within the contact center because you're going to have complete transparency without having the need to observe anything. Um, The software will automate the observation for you. The software automates the bot, a bot talking to the person and coaching them along when they're doing something incorrect. So We see it as a great way, especially now with COVID and a lot of contact centers say they're not going to go back to a physical space or give people, you know, that chance, you know, if you want to stay home, stay home, fine, because we're not going to build out any more real estate to bring people into our space. So we see it as a really good way to help people augment uh, what they were doing with the traditional training that quite frankly, wasn't you know, working well anyway, uh, you still had people being thrown on the phone that, you know, maybe had one or two chances at a role play and that was it, uh, you know. So now we're giving people more chance to get real hands-on um, immersive experiences with immediate feedback so they know right away, you know, I know how to handle this transaction or I'm not comfortable handling this transaction.
0: So on that note though, when you compare traditional types of training and the simulation training, I know that you've been doing this a little while now. So- You have to have some data right that says if I go do simulation training versus or in addition to the classroom event type trainings, is there a performance increase that you've been able to quantify or some sort of increase in productivity or increase in customer experience um, uh, scoring anything in particular that you can chime on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've done a couple of, we did it once a third party study by the Georgia Institute of Technology. So they took two separate groups, group A and group B. Uh, they all got the same kind of classroom instruction. And then at the end, as kind of the capstone, one group got traditional uh, role-playing about six different scenarios. The other got, group got simulation-based training. And so there was a statistical difference in the way that they handled the transactions, customer satisfaction scores, Uh, the speed with which they were able to handle the transaction, but also the agent's level of confidence. They felt more confident in how to handle those transactions. So that, of course, turns into some very intangible, but also tangible uh, metrics and results within the organization. But we've also had uh, other customers, say, in a collections environment. Um, You know, for collections, it's really important to get those people up to speed very quickly. You know, as in any call center, But there's you know real real ROI uh, significant ROI tied to that, and so um, I'm trying to think of all the stats that we got from the the last time we tested this. But it was quite a significant difference in um, time to market. What they call time to market, or able to get up to speed quickly, Uh Um, their ability to collect higher higher value within those um, accounts receivable um, clients that they were working with, and also just the handle time was was less too so the better they know how to handle that transaction and navigate around the systems um, the quicker they're going to be able to uh, close out that transaction
0: yeah i mean collections that's huge the faster that you can start uh collecting the sooner the Mm -hmm. better for everyone involved and then obviously if you're collecting more um, and doing so with still positive outcomes for both parties then obviously the end result is great so i know that to pivot a little bit in the past, you've really talked about vocal energy, uh, trustworthiness, uh, influence within the way someone sounds and speaks. Uh, mm-hmm. When you talk about that though, have you done simulations to analyze that in particularly? And if so, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And if not, have you thought about doing that?
1: Yeah, good question. So um, in the first software that I built, um, one of the comments I would get back, you know, I was just measuring what somebody was saying. And so people would ask me, well, can it measure the ums and the ahs and the pauses?" And I said, I said, you're basically trying to measure um, how they say something. Uh-huh. And so I found a company out of um, it's called beyond verbal and um, they developed a tool that measures the emotion analytics in your voice. And so I was able to, through an API, plug that into the first software that I built. And it was giving you 11 different emotional categories and then putting you in uh, from 0 to 100% energy, balance, and I'm trying to think the other one. Um, So basically, I created a color-coded system that as soon as you were done with that simulation, you would see not only what you said, did you say the right words, but did you say it in a way that was expected for this type of conversation. So the problem I ran into that was, you know, that was kind of the sexy part of the, of the software. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, ooh, everybody wants to know what they are like, right? We all want, you know, you know, what am I? We want to do all these personality profiles and things like this. So what I ran into though was, oh, it shows that you're anxious or it shows that you have low energy or it shows you have too much energy, like you're overselling something. Uh-huh. Um, so how do you then coach someone to tailor their voice into their proper tonality for that type of conversation? And and what I found was it really didn't help me leverage um, deeper into the organization. It didn't help me leverage them doing something with that data. They really didn't do anything with the data. It was kind of like a nice to know, but uh, in my in my observation, it was like, well, I don't know if I'm qualified to teach you how to change your emotional state. (laughs) It's like, you're having a bad day, fix it. You know, you can't do that. Uh, But what I did find was I did some additional research from a company out of Texas called Quantified Communications. And they do a lot of research around leadership uh, speaking and how they speak and the tonality of their voice. And one of the things that they study was Walter Cronkite versus Anderson Cooper, who sounds more trustworthy. I thought okay and you know sometimes i have to explain to the audience who walter cronkite is <laughs> depending on the age um, but what they found was that um, they had differences in their harmonic tonality so they actually scientifically measured it but the one thing they measured which to me every single person could probably do you know a flip of a coin is he said that walter cronkite sounded more trustworthy not because of just the tonality of his voice but because he spoke slower.
0: Good evening. A unique day in
1: American history is ending. A day set aside for a nationwide outpouring of mankind
0: seeking its own survival. Earth Day. A good part of the effort to make this Earth Day a success was concentrated, of course, in the major population and pollution centers. We have a report on several of the big cities, beginning with Robert Shackney in Boston. Interesting.
1: If you think about it, you know, Anderson Cooper kind of talks like this, duh, 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 you know, he fires out the
2: question duh, 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 duh,
0: like that. Right now the European Union is averaging less than five thousand new cases a day. And even at its peak, even at the worst point in the outbreak, the number stayed under thirty thousand. That was back in March. Today, heading into July, after months of what the vice president likes to call whole uh, government effort.
1: But Walter Cronkite was slower and speak. And and so I further read into that and basically when you're speaking slower, you you kind of exude a little bit more confidence. You don't, you know, if you're speaking faster, just like think about music. So I compared music and voice uh, quality. So when the music's playing, the violins are up really high, da, 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 you know, something exciting, you're exciting. But if you're playing, a, you know, a cello or something that's lower, it's maybe a slower, more serious scenario going on. So just like music, think about how our voices, when we speak in a higher higher tone, we're at an excited level of our voice and our emotional state, Uh if we're speaking lower tone, we're speaking in a more calm, confident, more serious state. And so, you know, just think of that, you know, so I try to, you know, pass that along to, uh, I've done a lot of webinars on how your voice can make or break the sale, and share all these different examples of um, just, you can emotionally engage in someone just by the power and the tone of your voice versus the words. And Maya Angelou said, you know, people may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah.
0: Great quote.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's, there's a lot of scientific research around the tonality and the way that you speak. And I, I give a lot of examples in that webinar around, you know, how you can change the way that you're speaking to change the environment and to try to change the outcomes that are happening.
2: How many times does a call have to drop? How many times do customers have to complain about noise? With Nobel Biz Omni Plus, your work from home concerns are a thing of the past. Why worry about noise during calls when you can just send a text? WhatsApp traffic tripled during the pandemic, so why aren't you on there? Nobelbiz OmniPlus offers a seamless experience custom tailored for the at-home call center. With all the social media integrations, plus the traditional ones like voice, email, video, SMS in a single platform. Go to Nobelbiz.com to find out more. What happens if an agent can't take calls because they have little ones? Simple, you can just reassign that agent to handle only text-based conversations. OmniPlus allows you to do that so once again go to nobelbiz.com to check it out that's n-o-b-e-l-b-i-z.com to get the free license for six months
0: do you see a lot more work in that area that that the this, the products and services you offer will eventually circle back on and dive deeper into, or do you feel that that in particular area is still important, but maybe not a core focus of the current system or product offering? Uh,
1: i I think there's a lot of research going around to sentiment analysis right now, and I think sometimes that gets a little misguided because there's a lot of interpretations around. Uh, like the word two t o t w o t o o, you know. There's it's like okay, well, when you're using it in this context of this tone or whatever. Um, so the one thing I liked about Beyond Verbal is theirs was a true biometric feedback, and they, I mean, they had studied millions and millions of voice profiles. So it didn't matter what country you lived in, what language you spoke, What accent you had. Yeah, what accent you have, and so they actually are now going into um, the medical field. So they're actually helping to try to diagnose certain chronic illnesses if they're, you know, getting worse because of somebody's voice starts to display characteristics in it that indicates there's something going on with their health. Uh, Because I think they ran into the same scenario I did. He's like, yeah, great. I told you in an enterprise environment that your voice sounds like this, your emotional state is X. Um, Where they really should have used it was in measuring the customer's voice in real time so that I could calibrate the way that I interact with you. That's where I see the benefit of emotion analytics uh, playing out in B2B environments where, you know, I'm taking a call from you and I can tell you're stressed. Um, You may not necessarily express it right away, but if I can somehow get an indicator, um, that would help me learn how to interact with you and show empathy based upon the state of which you're in but um, the challenge they were still having is i needed 12 seconds of voice data and you know you might say hi hello that's not going to be 12 seconds of voice data
0: yeah yeah so, so i think there's room for improvement there yeah and it sounds like if there's any type of speech going on through an ivr that may be able to you know take that information yes. and give you enough data and then maybe route you to the right place that, that may be useful in that context, but because everything you're doing isn't in production, right, everything you're doing is simulations outside of production environment. So let's pivot right. a little bit more to how those simulations, when you talk about soft skills, right? Um, you know, what is your approach on how to actually test for soft skills? Because my understanding is soft skills are really important in this space.
1: Right, right. Uh, so one of our clients a a large software company that starts with an M, uh, (laughs) um, they're using it to teach engineers active listening. So, you know, you think about an engineer, you're calling into tech support. Um, I don't want to profile those people, but a lot of times, you know, they think they know the answer right away. Uh, and so what they wanted to teach them was, you know, really listen. So the active listening was the way they broke it down was like, you know, when you D, uh, Reverse engineer something; it becomes, you know, more aware of, of what you're doing in the moment. So they basically said, you know, greet the customer, ask if this is a good time. You know, we got we got your case. Is this a good time to talk to you about this? Um, and they say, tell me what's going on. Explain to me the problem. The ne- very next step is one that I think a lot of organizations miss, and this is where it becomes a you know a true soft skill. Um, paraphrase what you just heard. So what I just heard you tell me was, dot, 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 dot. So what that does to the customer is saying, oh, they really want to make sure that I clarified what's going on. They, they're listening to me. And that somehow, you know, subconsciously says they care about me and want to get this problem taken care of.
0: Well, also that they understand what the problem is. <laughs> right. Right,
1: exactly. And if they don't, it's like, okay, well, tell me more. Um, and even then, I think you need to ask a couple more clarifying questions, you know, with just the information that you've been given, it's been clarified, you need to take it a couple of steps further. And that, uh, when I asked them, do you have any recordings of somebody doing this well? Mm-hmm. They said, uh, no, we can't come up. With <laughs> they didn't have any to share with me. So now it's become a, you know, a standard process of teaching them how to do it in this way. And so once you learn to do that in the simulator, it's going to become second nature to you when you're on the phone with a live customer.
0: Great. And that makes sense because a lot of times when we're talking about, especially technical things, um, making sure that the customer actually is on the same page and you're speaking the same language, literally when we're talking about, are you on the same page? It very much makes it so that uh, the conversation is focused. You get the right outcomes, and obviously, the lack of of getting frustrated is always important. So now we're starting to see that you're 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 getting more text-based communication, right? You have SMS, you have web chat. Uh, obviously, you have chat bots out there. You have self-service uh, pieces. Uh, you have email. Uh, voice seems to be your focus as well as when we talk about improving the voice simulations, but do you see any of the migration into more text options uh impacting how you're going to service your product and your customers going in the future? Or what are you looking at when you see that?
1: Yeah, I see um a couple of things. We've already done email simulations, we've already done chat simulations, so so multi-channel. Um, and I see just from us sitting in Zoom video. So again, you know, we're gonna go full circle back into voice. There's so many more people are connecting through video. Uh, you know, so we'll just have to create a, a large pool of professional actors to play those customers versus just voice over artists. Um, but not only that, but I see um, bots, you know, as voice too. So I could be doing a simulation that's a chat simulation, but have a bot coach me through that through a text-to-speech voice. And so um, I actually uh, submitted a, a speaking proposal for, you know, are bots uh, better coaches than humans? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna have like a smackdown uh, during that presentation where I'll, I'll bring, split the audience into two to say, all right, you're gonna create the debate, that bots are better coaches, you're gonna create a debate, the bots aren't better coaches. Uh, Cause I've, I've been finding research out there that talks about how sometimes we trust a bot better than we trust our manager. Uh, so, <laughs>
0: That's a lot about your manager.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, they're unbiased. They're going to just judge me on my performance. You know, so voice could also be a computer voice and how you interact with it. But also, the technology that's used to build the bots and the AI behind that, there are a lot of biases that are, you know, being built into those technologies. So you have to be very careful about you know, how you're building those bots and not building in some preconceived biases too, because uh, I think there was a debate at um, the Amazon conference that I spoke at. I sat in on a session around, you know, we're we're seeing more companies that are in that space bringing women and minorities into those tool sets because they want to try to not build in just, you know, uh, a traditional computer uh, geek, you know, biases are building those voice bots and things like that. But I will say they all say that people tend to respond to a female voice, bot voices, characters versus male voices. I don't know why that is, but that's just the research that's out there today.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that in and of itself is probably based on some form of bias anyways. But, you know, without diving down bias just by the nature that it's using data and data inherently right. will have some bias, depending on how you grabbed it and where you grabbed it from. But um, it's interesting to look and note that when you... Uh, see that type of training around those different topics and everything from uh, being able to practice it and get it in play, time is really important and getting people to improve is really important. So you've recently had discussions around Malcolm Gladwell's concept of 10,000 hours of mastery, right? And how to reduce that by 90%. So, I mean, what is your equivalent to that 10,000 hours of mastery?
1: Yeah, I I love Malcolm Gladwell, uh, but there was... (laughs) I think his 10,000 hours got pulled out of context and then people just started to use that in, in an isolated context. Uh, and there was even a gentleman that tried to become a professional golfer. He quit his job, <laughs> quit everything, and he put 10,000 hours into playing golf. Uh, he was not, he, be, he got better, but he didn't become a professional. So Anders Erickson is who I actually lean towards. So he has a deliberate practice theory. And in deliberate practice, you have a very specific task that you're practicing. You have, um, you have to make it uncomfortable so that you know, it's, it's not gonna be easy for you right off the bat. And you have to have a form of immediate feedback or a feedback loop. Because if you're, if you're doing something for 10,000 hours and you're practicing it wrong, that's not gonna help you either. So he adds in this feedback loop to help you correct when you start to get off track. So we see our simulator is really that deliberate practice tool that helps accelerate you getting on board or learning something much faster. So you're getting the hands-on practice, you're, you're making it feel uncomfortable. So the way that we build the simulations, we say, let's start off with a level one immersion. We know it's uncomfortable, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to handle this transaction. So we're gonna step you through you know, what to say, what to click on, what to type. So you get that kind of, okay, orientation to the how and the why of what you're doing. Then the next level of immersion, we strip some of that, you know, immediate guidance out and let you try it. So okay, let you try it a little bit. If you make a mistake, the bot's going to come back on and coach you through that next step. Then the third level of emotion or immersion, you are um, completely on your own. So now you've had exposure to an experience three different times with feedback uh, and guiding you through that, and so that's. More than most people get in, the, in an organization, when they're learning how to handle transactions, they might get one or two role plays. Uh, and I've, done a, a, I've written a paper around simulations versus role plays. And if you Google it, it actually comes up on the very first page of Google. Uh, but basically, there's pros and cons to both. But the simulation for the sheer fact that you're getting hands-on practice with a very objective observer versus a subjective observer, maybe your colleague or your your immediate supervisor. Um, Plus, you don't have to have all these other bodies involved. You can have just you, yourself, and I and and whatever technology you're using. Um, So there's a lot of pros and cons to both. But I would certainly say um, simulations are a way to get people up to speed faster Um, And sometimes people think, oh, well, simulations, those are very expensive. Oh, you know, we we can't afford to build a simulation or simulations. You know, that's a very sophisticated platform. Well, we've developed a platform that um, there is a learning curve on how to build the simulations. But once you build one, um, it's basically copying and pasting out of our scripting software, because you think about it, the greeting and the wrap up are almost identical in every single call that you do. Right. So that's, you know a third of the conversation right there, you're just copying and pasting to build another simulation by keeping those pretty much the same, depending upon the organization. A lot of
0: templates, so, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So people hear simulation, they think expensive and complex. Uh, I'm here to tell you, no, it doesn't have to be super expensive. Uh, and the upside of what you're getting, the benefit of what you're getting. you know, I have a lot of uh, organization using a tool called Storyline Um, from Articulate. So Storyline lets you just basically take PowerPoint slides, add some branching to it, uh, does not have speech recognition in it, lets you maybe do a software simulation where you're typing on the screen, it looks like your software. Um, But the problem with that is you are not getting um, immediate feedback from, say, a coach. You can get maybe you got it right or wrong, but it wasn't tailored to exactly what you did wrong. Um, It doesn't tell you how well they did a a certain activity or um, navigation. It only tells you when they finished the course and if they passed the test. So again, it's it's looking at the upside of, boy, if I had a tool um, that I could drill down to see, okay, everybody took this simulation uh, on this day, Uh, let me drill down by sections. So if I see that the majority of the people got the greeting wrong, you know, I immediately are going to say, well, gosh, if they can't get the greeting right, the rest of the conversation doesn't matter. So it gives me a tool to help go then coach my staff and address what issues they're having in a very tailored way versus, oh, they finished this course, they got 80%, and you know, I wanted them to get 90%, but I'm not sure which behavior I need to be addressing.
0: It sounds very scalable though. And also when it comes to getting better at anything, I think a one-time training is probably not ideal, right? I think ultimately ongoing uh, reinforcement and education, especially if at some point you need uh, additional help or additional training, uh, this lends itself well to that. What are you seeing from that in the use of the product? Do you Mm -hmm. see that implemented where it becomes an ongoing use of the system or just for onboarding purposes?
1: No, in fact, uh, we've had recent conversations a- again with the, the large software company starts with an M. Um, let's say you're, a, you're, a, uh, an engineer and you have somebody running QA on your calls. Uh, the way they see it is, you know, I'm a manager, uh, everybody's remote now. Um, you know, and if I get a QA report that says, oh, you just did this one thing wrong. So now we can build, you know, um, simulations that are very, you know, component based around a specific behavior or skill and let that engineer, you know, self-directed say, oh, okay, you know, I don't want, I want my boss walking me through this, you know, I've got this tool and this resource here, you know, I'm gonna go through and practice this, um, uh, how to set up an active directory correctly or whatever whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and let me learn from that, then wait for the next report to come back or report directly to my supervisor hey, here's my results from me taking the simulator. You know, you know, do you still want to have a conversation about it? If they believe they're, you know, that they have confidence that they've gotten past that point, then uh, they don't need to get involved. So we do see it as a way to um, kind of proactively help somebody get in front of those skills, and in front of those uh, situations where maybe they're not performing at the right level.
0: Totally makes sense. Have you ever dreamed of perfect calls Do you ever wonder how much time you'd save? How awesome would it be if you had only uninterrupted calls? Thankfully, these dreams are real. If you're a call center, we can do that for you. The Noble Biz Carrier of Carriers Network assures uninterrupted calls through a worldwide series of servers designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to deliver crystal clear quality. But how do we know we're so good? It's because we're a true carrier. We control the quality, the network, and the servers. And we said, let's give it all we've got. Go to noblebiz.com and search for world-class voice under technology. Once again, that's n-o-b-e-l-b-i-z.com and look for world-class voice. And so do- to pivot away from that, that level of granularity, I know at a very high level, it's a really important topic to you. And I'd love to cover it with you because as a woman in business, a leader, one of the things that I know that you found really supportive is empowering women in the business world. Right. And with that, uh, and specifically in the contact center space, what do you think can be done? Or what do you think are things that are doing, are being done or that you're doing from your opinion that could really help Um, in this space as far as empowering women in the business world and specifically in the contact center space? Uh,
1: That's great. So I give a a presentation called Empower Her, The Power of Your Voice and How It Impacts Your Career. Um, And so I share with women that we we self-sabotage ourselves um, in the organization. And um, one of the examples I share is actually an Amy Schumer uh, clip from her show where she shows these very seasoned, you know, where, you know, uh, high achieving women on stage and they're there to be a panel and, you know, something ensues where somebody asks for a drink and the stagehand keeps bringing out the wrong thing. And she keeps saying, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and he's, he's the one making all the mistakes, but she keeps saying, I'm sorry. Uh And so I see that a lot where we overly use the word sorry or apologize or um, things like that. And so uh, I gave this presentation to a group of women at IBM uh, here in Chicago about six years ago. And this woman raises her hand in the back of the audience. She says, well, what should I say instead of sorry? (laughs) I said, nothing. Stop saying it. There's
0: nothing to apologize Uh, for.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. But a, a young woman did come up to me, and she says, "You know, I um, I have this roommate. We're the same age. We're both kind of the same position in our career. But she just she owns the room, or she when she's in a conference call, she's just so confident, and you know, and I don't feel like I could I could do that." I said, "Well, a lot of it is um, fake it till you make it. Quite frankly, you know, and if you can speak as if you are an authority on something, or um, what I tell younger women, I said, you know." look uh, Aim for the job that you're trying to go after or look for somebody in the organization and watch how they interact with people, watch their communication skills. Uh, I said, you know, I'll ask audiences all the time. I said, can you tell me of one CEO that has a bad speaking voice? And I never you know, really get anybody responding because not, you know, they got to that level in the organization because they're smart people, but they also got to that level in the organization because they, they can speak with confidence, They know how to communicate well. Uh, Their vocabulary allows them to do that because you you think about, um, uh, there was a research that I found, you know, that when people start to speak, they start to formulate an opinion of who you are as a person. So, for example, if I spoke with a Southern accent and used Wrong vocabulary, or to use the word "ain't" quite a bit in my in my conversation. You would automatically start to form an opinion of me as my income, my education, my family life, and again, that brings in you know the biases that we might have about who I am as a person. So, in the professional environment, and in a contact center you know, people think, oh, I'm just a call center agent. Well, there's a lot of call center agents that have elevated their careers to be very senior people within that organization. And so look to see how you can insert yourself in either new projects or volunteer for um, activities that might take on a new role or teach you a new role. Um, Because the one thing you learn as an entrepreneur, uh, when somebody says, do you do X, you say, yes. (laughs) And you just jump jump right in and, and learn how to do something just because you know it's not something you've done in the past doesn't mean it's something you can't learn how to do.
0: I mean, I don't want to generalize in any way, shape, or form because I know it's not that case across the board. But I've run into instances with two things that I've heard. And I'd like your thoughts on it. It's one that um, at times when you look at jobs, right, and postings of what a job is, right, a certain role within the contact center or any other role, where. Um, if if you don't feel that you're necessarily a perfect fit, you you end up not applying for it. And I've seen the feedback that I've seen some women will do that. They'll say that's not a I'm not exactly a right fit for that, so I'm not going to apply for it. Whereas some men go, oh, I could do it, even if it's not something that they could do now. They would look at it and say, I can do that. So uh, there's pieces where sometimes they won't go for certain jobs or positions that maybe they could because they may not fit yeah. it to a T. And then separately, when it comes to advancement or pay, um, asking for a raise, asking for uh, a change in compensation. Uh, again, sometimes there's a sense of waiting until someone acknowledges your performance and says you deserve more versus you saying, right. I want more. Have you run into either of those situations or instances in, in your experience?
1: Yeah, quite a bit, actually. You know, what you said um, in the beginning there, you know, women will not apply for something unless they match those skills exactly. And men you know, they kind of feel the opposite. So I've, I've actually been a mentor, uh, to a technology group of women technologists, uh, and one of them wanted to be a CIO. And, you know, so it's like, okay, how are we going to get you there? I mean, there's no reason why you can't be a CIO just because you're not one today. Um, so you really have to, again, it's, there's a confidence factor in there. Um, you know, women tend to be of a personality of people pleasers and things like that. You know, I don't want to, again, stereotype people, but, uh, I've had to learn how to live outside that box (laughs) quite a bit, but you know, so just help them understand, even when asking for a raise or asking for um, to be paid. You know, I know a lot of uh, people that work in the gig economy today, you know, and they're like, well, what should I charge? I'm like, well, I think you should charge X. if they say no, you know, start out high, you can always go down low, but you can't always go back up. So even when you're asking for a raise or asking for a specific salary range, and think thank goodness there's a law now where they can 't ask you what you made previously because again that 's going to influence on what they think they can get get away with paying you versus what you deserve to be paid so I do see a lot of that, but I do see some changes not in not only in companies but in the law structure that you you can 't be doing that anymore, but it's just getting comfortable with it, so maybe practicing with someone having those conversations again. You know, setting up a simulation
0: or or a
2: buddy that you can. I was just going to say
0: that maybe there's a simulation for something (laughs) like that.
2: If you can't get enough of Christian's voice and want more of that awesome mellow tone, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars. How have these challenging times impacted you? Is remote work difficult for your call center? How can you make sure your agents are actually working? We have the answers to these questions plus actionable tips on how to get your contact center up to speed. Once again, go to nobelbiz.com slash webinar series to find all our recordings. That's n-o-b-e-l-b-i-z dot com and click on the webinars button.
0: With with that said, though, when we talk about simulations, I know you had mentioned earlier with the pandemic, another important topic that's impacting a lot of people's lives. Um, When we speak to simulations now being remote and it being imperative for people to get the work that they can do today and have uh, set up for success, right? If they don't get proper training, then it makes it very difficult for them to onboard, which again makes it difficult for them to perform. So during the pandemic, specifically, have you run into situations in which the simulation trainings from doing remote versus um, just doing it differently within a physical brick and mortar infrastructure? Have you seen that it's negatively or positively or neutrally impacted its performance?
1: Hmm. I haven't haven't seen uh, the negative. I have seen organizations come to us that we um, maybe had interactions with previously, but they didn't quite weren't quite ready to make the move. Um, and one woman said to me, she's like, it's really hard to role play using Zoom. Uh, <laughs> and So that's why she was looking at us as an alternative because, you know, plus they all had to, unfortunately, let some people use their own personal computers. They weren't able to get computers shipped out to everybody <laughs> in a timely fashion. So you're dealing with all the different, you know, capabilities of those different computers that everybody's kind of operating off of. So uh, what we've done, because we ran into that, even with a, one of the largest technology companies, couldn't enable everybody to have the same device. So we're setting up uh, virtual machines in Azure so that we know that everybody's playing on the same technology field, that is all configured correctly. Um, because with speech recognition, you have to have, you know, it's all built into Windows, but mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, somebody messes up something on their system and it's not working. So we've set up virtual machines to ensure that the environment that they're working in is all optimized to to use that simulator.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think right now, based on the pandemic, there's a lot of shifts of where people are working, right? People may have never worked in the contact center space and have just now gotten into it for one reason or another. And I know a lot of companies are hiring people in this space. So if you're to talk about the first day of call center training, what do you think is the most important thing in your opinion for someone who's never worked in this space?
1: Oh, that's tough. And it, and it part of it depends on kind of their workforce setup as far as how they're being tracked and monitored, uh, and being comfortable with that. But I would say uh, time management is is one of the really key elements around, um, especially working from home. Some people aren't even used to working from home. so it's it's really finding an environment and space where you can concentrate and not have distractions. Uh, So that's step number one, making sure your work environment is set up so it's conducive to working from home. Um, And then really getting um, guidance from your supervisor or manager on what's expected of you. You know, people do what's what's measured. And so what's expected of you. Um, But then again, once you get past kind of the orientation side of all of that, uh, the real challenge that we see within contact center space is, um, unfortunately a lot of organizations have a combination of legacy systems and new systems mm-hmm. and it's just um, if you're not tech savvy you're going to struggle with it a little bit so helping those people that aren't tech savvy giving them um, guidance and tools like a simulator like ours to learn how to do it in a safe environment that lets them make mistakes um, because people learn from their mistakes you, you think about uh, years ago I used to sell them um, John Cleese had vid- corporate training videos that he did, and they were all very, you know, super funny, kind of the Monty Python style. Mm-hmm. And they would always shoot, show the person making a mistake and, and messing up. Uh, and what their theory was is that, you know, because we're demonstrating how to do it wrong, you're going to, in a funny way, you're engaged in it. You're It's a more active versus passive. You're laughing at something. It's an active form of learning. Um, and so that's why they made him funny, because you're going to be actively involved in learning You know even though you're observing a video you're laughing at it it's going to go into your long-term memory and you're going to remember that the next time you encounter that scenario so same thing with uh, giving people simulations to learn from is that it allows you to make those mistakes you know and and you're not going to expect to be perfect right off the bat but giving people tools like that they're not going to be sitting in front of their peers and get embarrassed that's the other thing about role playing people really do not like you know being put on the spot or having their new boss watch them, and they get all nervous. You know, we kind of remove that element of the, you know, you know, observing you and 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 calling judgment on you. Um, because some people just learn learn slower, and once they learn it, you know, they've got it down. But you know, if you're not tech savvy, a lot of these call centers have a lot of different. You know, you've got two or three screens going, you've got tabs open, you've got <laughs> it's it's crazy. And until you really get comfortable with get that set up get it, you know, get all your tabs set up the way you need them to be, then you can be, you know, really, really efficient around uh, that work environment. So that's really hard for people, I think, when they first come on board in a contact center, getting all the right technology set up at their
0: fingertips. that's great. And I think I couldn't agree more is nothing could frustrate you more in a learning environment when something is literally prohibiting you to be able to do the next step, whether it be the sense of comfort and safety all the way to just having the right technology and obviously uh, not being judged. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have that challenge. So to flip to what's going on currently for you, I know when it comes to the pandemic and COVID, it's impacted everyone differently. But for you specifically, how have you business-wise and personally just been able to deal with COVID and how it's impacted uh, you and anybody else that you know?
1: Well, fortunately for us, we've been remote since day one. So that business-wise, it didn't really impact us uh, a lot. Uh, and actually, it's brought more attention to our business because of just the sheer nature of, of what our software is capable of doing. Uh, from a personal standpoint, you know, I live in Illinois, and our governor has been pretty stringent about uh, mandates across the state. Um uh, some people don't like it, but, uh, you know, we don't have massive people in the hospitals, you know, flooding the hospitals that are sick and dying. So I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's towing the line because I have a lot of family in Iowa because I grew up on a, a dairy farm in Iowa. Um, it's 50-50 in the grocery stores. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It's either (laughs) you all wear the mask or you're not wearing the mask. So, um, we've been pretty fortunate. I don't know anyone personally that's actually, um, come down with COVID. A couple of my kids have been tested. They thought they had it, but they didn't have it. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so for me personally, I haven't been, you know, really severely impacted at all uh, other than, you know, not really being able to go to all the places I wanted to go or dining out and things like that. But, Uh, Business-wise, it's actually helped it.
0: It makes sense based on everything we've talked about. And I'm actually really excited you are able to finally connect with us. It's been a great discussion and obviously another great episode of our series, First Contact Stories of the Call Center. So thanks so much for showing up. And obviously, as we're getting close to the end of our first season, um, those of you who may have suggestions of great guests or even topics that we can cover on our next season, Uh, We'd love to let you give us that information. So you can go to info at nobelbiz.com. So I-N-F-O at nobelbiz.com. And Nancy, um, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that?
1: Uh, They can email me, nancy at verbaltransactions.com. Or go to our website, verbaltransactions.com. And there's a contact us there and and a number to call as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time. Nancy, again, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact, Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minuts, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minuts.